Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. This is episode 12 of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, and I am Trevor L. Nelson. Today we're doing things a little bit differently. Alex is off getting ready to get married and all that other fun stuff. But do not worry, you don't have to listen to my stupid voice for the entirety of this episode. No, no. Alex and I interviewed our friend, Logan Burdick. Logan went to film school with us, and right out of film school, he started working for digital companies like Maker and Endemol Beyond and Pocket Watch. He also started his own production company called Don Machine. And now Logan is transitioning back into the traditional film world. He has a script he wrote that he sold and that was made, and so he's kind of transitioning from digital, which is all the rage, back into the traditional film world. And we sat down with him, talked with him about that, talked to him about advice he may have for other people. So sit back, grab a drink, and enjoy this interview. Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit, a podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. The future. Oh. Logan, I was just about to start. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We can't separate tracks, Logan. We don't have that much money. <laughs> we can't mute you. We don't have an audio Sorry. guy. <laughs> no, but you're, you're hearing the audio, guys. <laughs> we're bad at this. All right, we're here with Logan Burdick, filmmaker extraordinaire. Um, friend. Yes. And let's straight up say first, he's a friend of ours. So if we get a little familiar, don't think this is how we act <laughs> with all of our I guests. Say that. That's true. He's an acquaintance. acquaintance. He's a filmmaking acquaintance. It's more of a big brother, big, uh, little big brother, yeah, big brother, big sister situation where we gotta just look after it him. It is true. Yep. He calls it's us. I, I, I remember advice. sponsoring sponsoring Alex as a as a child. That must have been weird because he was already taller than you when he was a child. That's true. He came out that way. <laughs> I haven't come out yet, Logan, but thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't make it a habit of. Uh, this is on your own time. This is. We apologize uh, right I'm, now to everyone because this is going to get real familiar real quick. <laughs> my name is Alex Dark. I am a tall man. There, there it is. There it is. He, now everyone knows. All right, so Logan, let's start off with you just letting everyone know all six people that listen to this podcast who you are, a little bit of your filmmaking background. Take it away. Make us proud. God, so much pressure. Um, my name is Logan Burdick. I I don't know that I am extraordinary in anything, but I appreciate I appreciate Alex's uh, you know uh, introduction. Um, I've spent most of my career working in uh, digital. Um, first at uh, Maker Studios, where I was a producer and content creator, which basically means you would one man band your own productions of original series um so maker studios again if anyone doesn't know it's a, one of the like original um one of the original behemoth digital companies they were called mcns um then i worked for a couple other big ones one was called uh endemol beyond which is a subsidiary of endemol uh usa um i owned my and ran my own production company where we did digital series for like Go 90 and watchable and a uh, big uh, branded clients like Playboy was a, was our biggest client there. Um, then I I built out and ran production at a uh, digital studio called Pocket Watch. Um, I recently left Pocket Watch because I'd been simultaneously um, trying to <laughs> sounds terrible trying to get into traditional. Um, I had a movie that I wrote. Um, that ended up being produced at the end of last year. It's coming out 
um, soon, and so I'm reconcentrating now on getting back into writing and uh, directing uh, features and uh, probably series because that's what where everything is now. Well, let's go back a little bit, and because you didn't go to college, I mean, we all three of us met in film school. You didn't go to film school with the idea that you're going to get into the realm of digital because back when we were in film school, digital wasn't the new big thing in terms of like <laughs> YouTube and all no. that. Um, really dating ourselves here. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, I don't mean, mean even mean digital filmmaking. I just mean more like uh, digital distribution, stuff like that. So what made you want to be, what got you into filmmaking enough to push you towards film school? Oh, like... As a like, as, as an a infant, as a young child, as a whipper, out of, out of the womb. <laughs> I don't know if we need to go back that far, but yeah, why why get involved in the world of filmmaking that has many many regrets and few rewards? <laughs> um, uh, growing up, I wanted to be a writer originally. I wanted to be a novelist, um, and when I was like a small child, I would I would write, you know little books, little novellas, that sort of stuff. And, um, and then when I was, I guess, seven or eight, I saw Jurassic Park, which seems to bizarrely be a touchstone for a lot of people that I was not aware of. Um, I left that sort of feeling like the reason that film or any sort of, uh, entertainment medium was more interesting to me was because from the sort of like creative, um, from the holistic creative experience, having having that control versus if it's something that you write, um, you're leaving a large portion of the experience up to someone's imagination, which I think that lots of people really actually like. Like I imagine people who actually write, write novels and things like that really enjoy that aspect of it. I kind of like the idea of being able to create the entire experience, and that's when I started feeling like that's the direction I wanted to go in. And so when did you start actually picking up a, a camera and making your own projects? At what age? Around around that time, like seven or eight. Yeah. Okay. Right. My, um, my dad had, I uh, forget what it was called. It took, it, you literally recorded onto VHS tape. Like it was what, like it was like a big monster camera and it recorded onto VHS tape and I would basically I would do I would do with sort of like sort of like um, the combination half stop motion half just actually like puppeting action figures thing and nice. I did that like in the very beginning with like my toys and that sort of stuff I'm, um, I'm sure it was an RCA it had to have been an RCA camcorder I don't I, I honestly have a terrible memory so this is about this is about as detailed as I can probably get into stuff like that failed um, fail this again but but yeah but it was definitely literally just playing with toys but putting a narrative behind it and then filming that and literally doing in-camera edits and stuff like that until I got a I got my first like um nel system when i was maybe in middle school okay um and when was the first time um you started saying to yourself i want to actually maybe you know learn more about this and start actually um learning techniques and stuff instead of experimenting and just playing 
Probably around like the same like time, like probably not like long after. Like I, I literally again I don't recall all the details, but I, I sent, I sent a letter and a sample of my work to Spielberg when I was uh, also middle school. I'll say. And then that so fast tracked you. Like, fast tracked you. To, fast tracked you to Studio Pictures. <laughs> Uh, yeah, something like that. Sweet. Um, but no, it was like, so that's like what, like, I'd say like 12, like, um, and so I obviously at that point felt I had something resembling a reel or a portfolio. Um, and I sent it, I sent it to him and they actually, they sent me a, his assistant at the time sent me a letter back and it was very like, there was a very long, like multi-page letter, basically like being like understand that I would be disappointed that um, I would not be hearing from Steven directly, but they didn't want me to feel disappointed and yada, yada, yada. And also they definitely sent back the tape and never watched it because for legal reasons, we, we it was very, it was very funny to have <laughs> the wording for like, again, like 12 year old where they were basically like, for legal reasons, we can't, we can't watch or open this, but we thank you for like sending it our way. Nice. Um, so obviously, to to Alex's question, by that point, I was very much invested in like this being a career, um, okay. as sort of ridiculous as that is. And at that point, how did you go about, you know, learning the craft? You know, did you uh, just do it all by yourself, or did you have some resources that you turned to at the time to sort of get better? Like as a like as like a twelve year old. Yeah, did you like go to the library, pick up some books? I know Alex saw what was that HBO? Oh, there was a, a TV show that I used to watch called Movie Magic. Movie Magic. Just to sort of you know like spark the interest. Did you dump, but... jump into behind the scenes of movies? Yeah. Or what... I'm sure I did. Again, like I don't. It's hard for me to remember the specifics. Yeah, but me too. I don't remember anything before yesterday. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Ooh, you where, where Thank you for that fake laugh. Thank you for that fake laugh. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, I feel like I can't recall, again, the specifics. Like, even now I will say that, like, I've always approached um, all sort of, like, entertainment very analytically. Like, I will still, when I'm learning, like, now, when I'm learning a a new format or like I had never written like a, like a 40, you know, 42 minute like drama pilot. And so I will just watch, I will watch a bunch of pilots. I will actually like time out when the scenes begin and end. I'll then put them into an outline and then I'll find out where the, like the different, you know, um, I, I forget what the sort of like terminology is like, the sort of like uh, important moments in the different arcs and when they occur, like I just, I watch a lot of it and I break it down and I sort of like ingest it that way. Um, nice. It's definitely a very sort of analytical like experience for me. Um, yeah. And so from that perspective, now kind of jumping forward a little bit to going to film school and all that, um, one of the questions we see all the time out there in the in the ether is should I go to film school is it a waste of money or is it a good idea type of thing 
be interested in hearing your perspective on that as someone who is kind of like a self-starter and uh, kind of doing your own thing. My, uh, what I would say is I think that there was actually a lot of value that came out of film school, but I don't know that necessarily it's the value that anyone ex- would expect. Or even like, so I, I feel like when actually when they're sort of breaking down the value of these things, there's the first sort of value, which is like the value proposition of if I go to film school, I will get the knowledge I will like, you know, I, somehow this will lead to some sort of like a career placement or whatever. And, and that, that obviously I, uh, I have, I have feelings about, um, then normally what then the sort of next level people talk about is like, well, okay, maybe like, regardless of that, maybe I didn't need to pay the money for that, but I got all these connections, right? I have all these friendships, um, and relationships as a result that gets um, you I do on a podcast, by the way. Yeah. Wow. So Lucky you. Tread lightly. That, those friendships got you on a podcast, so tread lightly, good sir. <laughs> no, I, I was saying I, was saying I agree with that. Okay. Um, Continue on that. No, I, I, feel like, I feel like some of, I would say a majority of my best friends to this day are friends from college. Um, and so I think that like definitely being being around like-minded people and being a part of that community, um, I think is very important. I think for me, honestly, <clears throat> the sort of like extra level for me was like, I fought a lot in film school. Like I, it put me in a lot of situations that, um, were probably sort of like irregular for most people. But then it sort of like gave me experience dealing with things like bureaucracy and stuff like that. That honestly, like if you, that to me is also invaluable, you know, like any situation in which you're pushing yourself and stretching beyond necessarily like, uh, what has been set up for you. Right. Anything that allows for that sort of growth, I think, is very valuable. Um, I think the only way you get there necessarily is that there's a, you know, there's something to sort of grow within, if that makes sense. But would you say that, I mean, not to take away from what you said, but don't you think that if you're, you know, say you skip, you skip film school and just start making films while, you know, you're working a job and you're going to run into that stuff anyway, the bureaucracy, the, you know, if you're doing it the right way, you're going to have to deal with government officials for permits and, and money issues and stuff like that. So do you feel that you got, you dealt with it more in film school than you would have if you just started making films right out of high school? Yeah, I don't know. It's a little, I'm, I'm in a weird in between place in that like legit, like I feel like that there was a, lot of good that came out of film school um that i'm glad that i did it but also fairly legitimately like when i got out i basically i basically had to start again like i like it didn't matter that i had gone yeah (laughs) so which which i think a lot of people would agree with that it's that sort of it's that sort of thing right um definitely now there's anything wrong with that Um, yeah 
Do you think that being a student, though, maybe gave you an opportunity to create your own projects and um, sort of experiment a little bit longer than perhaps if you sort of jumped right into the industry right after school? Or do you think you would have done that anyway? You would have just like taken your free time and made some of your own projects on the side while you were working? I, w- I would have done it anyway. Yeah. Totally. Me too, probably. No, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think the one good thing that I, not only from the networking standpoint of film school, but I thought that like the, the fact that you had to deliver a film every couple weeks, like it's easy to say that, oh yeah, I would have been making my own stuff, but even nowadays when you know after we're out of film school and we're you know working jobs and all that it's easy to say well let's let's shoot something every two weeks and you don't because you know life gets in the way but having to do it i think was a good structure to like get you to produce something even if you didn't want to because you had to yeah yeah i was gonna like i agree like honestly like i'm a i'm a huge proponent of that um to me that probably again i don't have a great memory (laughs) So all the, all the specifics of, um, of film school, again, it was, a, it was a little while ago at this point. Um, but the specifics of it, um, I don't, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No my worries. point was, is that I agree with what you're saying. I honestly feel like that's an experience I've had more in digital or that I can, I associate more with the sort of like uh, being a part of the sort of like digital movement than necessarily with film school, I guess for me. That's fair. That's fair. So we could talk about film school forever. So let's get off to when you graduated because then you went and shot a a very complex uh, short film shot on, you know, Panavision. You got the Panavision grant, got 35 millimeter camera. what do you feel about that? You know, that is like the, one of the things is that people, not many people get that opportunity right out of film school because they're like, ah, now I have to pay back my debt. I have to do this. I have to go get a job. But you were able to swing right out of film school and get a pretty expansive short going. What was the thinking behind that and what was the process like? <laughs> the thinking in terms of what? Like, why, why do what, that? What like, did you want, like, I mean, you know, you could have, somebody could have said, well, why don't you just do a feature or why don't you, you know, write a script and sell it? Like, why did you go the route of making a, a short, you know, shooting on uh, 35 millimeter? Um, you know, you had uh, some decent named actors in it. Uh, why did you go that route instead of like the multitude of other routes people could go right out of film school? Well, I will preface by saying I don't know that it was the right route. Um, okay, that's fair. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I had a lot of, I had a lot of feedback at the time that suggested that this was the way you go about doing things. I, agree. I think what is really hard, specifically about, again, uh, all all of us present here are specific, like. Um, our specific age range is like literally when at the beginning of our career was when digital was not yet a thing, but all the traditional things were definitely all dead. Like that they like they were dead and nobody knew it yet. Like literally because something where it's like YouTube really blows up 
with monetization and all of that, like 2009, right? And so mm-hmm. I graduated in 2007. Yeah. Um, and so it was this very weird place where, like, I was super excited about, like, wow, this is so awesome to, like, because I, I did, like, we, I, we got the we got the grant for Panavision and we got like a bunch of, uh, stock donated from Kodak and all of that was like super awesome. But like now literally you go, why would you ever do th-? You had to like, you know, yeah. there, there to, really weren't like that many options at the time, it. right? There, were, there weren't really that many options at the time because it was, it was kind of either you shoot that or you shoot tape, right? I mean, kind of, or mini DV tape, which was even worse, but you could, you could have shot maybe like, um, HD camera or something like broadcast style cameras. But other than that, I mean, if you really wanted to go the cinematic route, yeah, you're caught in like a lull of like the merging technologies and the old technology. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't recall. I imagine again, um, I imagine it was something like, um, uh, maybe Panavision had a, a digital, um, sort of package, like a, like a, you know, a digital 35 sort of thing, mm-hmm. but nobody wanted it. Yeah. It was like, they were trying to probably trying to push it on you and everyone was like, nah, you don't want it. Yeah. Um, definitely. It I was rem- not cool. It right. was not the cool thing to do. Um, yeah. And everyone that in that, in our generation who went to film school, the idea of shooting on 35 millimeter, I think was much more sexy than shooting on, Panavision's digital yeah. landscape. Well, one of the films that I did later also got the Panavision grant, and it was, they decided to go the digital route, and it was kind of, it, I think it was a Sony F900, which is what they shot the, um, like, episode one of Star Wars or something on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is a broadcast camera, and it still was a pain in the butt because it was, it was still tape and all that kind of stuff. You still had to deal with stock and yeah. digitizing and Ugh, all that digitizing stuff. Digitizing the worst. But um, yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely wasn't the uh, the sexy um, 35 millimeter option. Yeah. It was the ugly um, stepchild option. Yeah, and I, I was saying going back to originally what uh, what you were saying, Trevor, it was, I think that honestly it was a very weird time in that whatever sort of advice I was getting was pro was probably still correct, but it was sort of on the way out. And the new advice that would have probably been maybe the more sort of savvy approach was not, nobody even knew yet. Cause you see the other thing about sort of like emerging technology and stuff is nobody really necessarily knows. Like it was tough. Like I remember I had a, I met with a uh, with someone I knew, and they said like they had heard like in the next couple of years you're going to be watching videos on your phone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the phones at the time, like because again there was no there was no iPhone yet, and so the screens literally on those sort of like old flip phones and that sort of stuff were like maybe like an inch by like an inch, you know, an inch and a half by an inch and a half. And so like, I totally be- like believe the idea that someone would watch a video on their phone, but not that phone. And nobody, ex- nobody had any more information. They were like, it's going to be video on the phone. And I was like, like this phone. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, my no, sidekick that flips out no with a keyboard. Ever, yeah. No one will ever do that. And they wouldn't, it would have been ridiculous. But like, 
but it just was sort of missing pieces of the information, right? Where it's like, yeah. yes, video on the phone is going to be a thing, but there's going to be like, there's going to be Wi-Fi that can handle it. There's going to be phones where the screen is large enough that you would want to watch something on the phone. And so you're just sort of in this weird in-between place. Um, that all being said, I, I had a great time making uh, my short. And like, and I think to your sort of point about like film school or where you learn things and that sort of stuff, like I learned more on the like, you know, again, the prep was a while, but like it was like the 11 days of shooting, like you learn more doing that than you do like anything else, which people always say, but that's just the reality of it is like yeah. doing the thing in a more professional way, whatever that looks like is always where you're going to, you know, you can play, you can practice the creative a lot um, in whatever capacity, but if you want to actually be more professional doing something where the logistics are more complicated and mere more professional logistics are going to teach you a lot more than you could ever learn. True. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, I remember kind of hearing about the YouTube stuff and seeing it and I, and even if I had, someone had told me like people are going to be watching videos on their phones in the next couple of years, I don't think I would have been, in the right mindset to be able to say, Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I should invest some time and effort into that. I would have been like, that's great. That's not what I want to do. That's crazy. Gentlemen, what if I told you that in a short time, people will be watching vertical videos for an hour on their phones. Hmm. What what do you think of that? Yeah. IGTV. Boom. I'll I'll accept it. I think that it sucks. <laughs> there's the always, like, Thank you, Logan. Well, no, then, then you're sort of in... Well, no, there's this sort of like... Uh, I mean, th- there's a lot of... If you go down that rabbit hole, there's a lot of discussions to be had about all, about all the aspects of something like that. But I will... I do contend it's like, yeah, people, people will do it. Yeah. It is like... It's like, meh, okay, well, that sucks. Talking yeah. about the infancy stage, <laughs> like, it's so funny because I saw a trailer that, it, you know... It was I forget what the movie was, but it was like IGTV. Here's a trailer for a new movie coming out, and they obviously just threw it up there. They didn't even like crop it or anything and get ready for IGTV because it was like half faces. Like at one point, it was like a person talking to a nose because it was sixty nine <laughs> that they just put up. Why didn't they just IG- like? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to ask, but that is like talking about infancy. Is like I literally looked at someone and said, um, you know. Like, why am I looking at a trailer that is definitely not for this medium on this medium? Yeah. But then there's also well, the, there, there's, there's like the old saying of like the pioneers. You can always tell who's a pioneer because they're the ones with all the arrows in their back, you know, dead on the floor. And then the rest <laughs> of the people emerge from, you know, what the, the trail that they blaze or whatever. Ashes, like a yeah. phoenix. So I don't well, know. Well, yeah, I was, I was going to say like actually sort of really, you know, the, if you've been it, <laughs> if you've been on the sort of forefront of this long enough to sort of see like the sort of waves of how it goes, right. And who's like really high up and a big star and then disappears. And then this is the new thing. Like to your point, you sort of, you sort of see who like, there's always the sort of like waves of, um, people just doing it to do it without really understanding the best use of it. Then eventually people sort of like oh this is what this is good for like i'm sure there is a time and a place and i'm sure there is content that can be made for a 
for a vertical Instagram story Snapchat-esque frame that's like awesome and this is how it should be used and there's no other way to do this but if it's just pan and scanning something that should be seen the other way it's just annoying yeah you know it's like you know we said that and then vhs is pan and scan and everyone got used to that yep when i'm when i'm like playing and watching like hq i don't ever go like man i wish this was horizontal that's true but you know but like but that's because it's built around that it's It's, it's all you've ever known yeah it's a product that like that that understands like you know that's made for it Um, yeah yeah fair point well, point. So we, we definitely jumped on a tangent there because I brought yeah. up IGTV. Sorry, sore spot for everyone. <laughs> um, no, no, don't apologize. We're supposed to be leading this, and we led you down a rabbit hole. Um, okay, so you did your short, um, and then w- from there you started working with Maker Studios after a while. You did uh, you know epic rap battles and caffeinated with John uh, Fuglesang. Um, so talk about a little bit about moving into, you know, you had these visions of making films, and not to say that they wouldn't have been digital films, but making, you know, films, feature-length uh, films, and then you moved into the digital realm where it's like your three- to five-minute YouTube video. Yeah, was that kind of like a, a culture shock, or did you sort of dive right into it because it was kind of similar probably to what you had been doing recently at film school, shorter films and stuff like that? Basically, the entire rationale for digital was it, it was born out of I had used up so many favors like I'd used up so many favors making my short that I didn't feel comfortable asking anyone for any more favors or money or anything but I wanted to keep making stuff um, because my short had not done what I wanted it to do career wise um, so I knew I had to keep making things um, and it just felt like there was an opportunity in digital and it was something that I could sort of one man band if I taught myself literally all the different, you know, technical crafts. Um, and so I just started by teaching myself like more about like how to actually DP things and how to edit things and how to write things and getting into motion graphics and literally everything. So I could sort of make these digital pilots and it also digital sort of lent itself to like, I could make an entire pilot by myself if it was three minutes, right? If it mm-hmm. was five minutes. Yeah. And then I could shop that around. And is that, um, is that what you did? Did you make some shorts? That, is that how you got the job at Maker? I don't think I ever heard the story of how you hooked up with the people at Maker. Yeah. So I, my, uh, me and my buddy Ray Chase, who, who you guys obviously know well. Yep. Um, we were, we were trying, we were trying to crack YouTube. Um, oh, and yeah. we came up with, uh, we came up with a lot of ideas, but the idea I liked the most was one called Epic How To, and it basically was, it was a how to guide, but just as if the guy like doing it was on like PCP. <laughs> um, and it doesn't teach you how to do anything. It just is, it's just ludicrous and over the top. And I basically, I one man banded it. Alex actually appeared in it. That's right. I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then I did it and then I just started shopping it around and it got into the hands of, uh, an executive at maker. 
Okay. And he was like, I have no idea what to do with this, but I have shows that like I that I'm doing over here that I like. Um, do you want to come work here full time and basically produce those shows for me? Nice. Um, nice. And I said, I said, oh, okay. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I was, but I at the time I was, I was, uh, I was one man banding Spencer Pratt and Heidi Montag's production company, and and Spencer, God, God bless him. He was like, uh, he was like, I don't got any more shit for you to do. So like, so <laughs> perfect like, timing. Okay. So yeah, so it's sort of like, uh, um, yeah, it was a timing thing, I guess. Okay, so you, you you did that. You worked at Maker. Um, did you? You didn't, of course, come up with epic rap battles, but you worked on that. I mean, that is one of the most famous things that Maker has put out. In their yeah. Infancy. So I was. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I was just saying in their infancy, they, a lot of people may know other things that Maker has put out that's a lot, far more popular these days. But when it was young and new, Maker was known for epic rap battles. Yeah. I basically, so I'm, for for a little while there, I don't know, maybe it was like a year or something, like I, I did a bunch of different shows and projects, like I, I produced what was called their second channel for a while. Okay. Which was all okay. their, like, all their making of, for every, for every video that they did, they put out, like, you know. I'm making of that video. Yep. Which actually, I still think is probably some of the most viewed stuff like I've ever done because that stuff got like five million views of video. Yeah. Because um, the actual videos got like sixty million views of video. Jeez. Um. But yeah, and so I got and I got to be friends with um, Pete and Lloyd, and I and I did other random. I edited some episodes of actual epic rap battles with them and stuff. And their and their lead editor is a guy named Andrew. I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, that was my involvement with that. Gotcha. And then and then from there you moved on. And I don't think you know everyone. I think everyone who knows digital knows Maker. But I mean, I would say I did not know until you talked to me about it and said that you were working there about Endemol Beyond. Yeah. So Endemol was. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Keep going. I'm just just letting you take the floor. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. And Endemol, so Endemol announced the Endemol Shine uh, group. They're the largest production company on Earth, I believe, or they were at the time. They probably still are, but they're a they're a um, they're a they're they're like a B two B brand. Like consumers don't really know Endemol. Um, they're based in the Netherlands, and now they basically almost all reality TV they have a hand in in some capacity um, in addition to a bunch of narrative and other types of series. Um, and it was their digital division. And so, and again, I would, I would produce different shows and channels for their digital division. Um, we did like Courtney love had a YouTube channel. We did her YouTube channel for a while, some other random stuff, bunch of stuff with Viners because Vine was a huge deal at the time. Yeah, and then it became a huge um, not deal. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. It just went away. Yeah. It is it is true. But the Viners themselves are still like they they still live around. on. They like you know. Yeah. They have huge followings on different platforms. So let's like, talk about um 
your transition from these companies that you worked at um, and you decided to make the leap and actually start your own company um, at some point. What made you decide to do that? How was that transition? Was it smooth, easy going? Um, what was kind of the first project that you would say was kind of like your, your breakout project for that company? I, so I left, um, I left working internally, um, at the MCNs just because I wanted, I wanted more autonomy, I guess. Um, and I felt like, I felt like a lot of stuff, um, I'm trying to find like this sort of like political way to put it. It, ba- it basically was that I would one man band these things, a lot of them, and and not not like maliciously or anything, but it was just you suddenly would get every title except for producer, and I was like, but I produced the whole show for like for some things, right? Like yeah. not everything, mm-hmm. but like but stuff like that would happen. I would go, so if I'm actually producing this, like I. I'm a producer, I'm going to go produce. Um, and so that was basically my rationalization for, for starting the company is basically having a place where it was like, I didn't want to get stuck having to directly be involved in the, in all the aspects of the creation. I wanted to basically be able to produce more things, be able to oversee more things have a team of people, um, and work with them. And, and so I did that and that was literally, that was a crazy thing. And I literally just quit one day and me and again, uh, Ray, Ray was my, uh, was my partner in the company. We just went and did it. And it definitely was, it was janky AF (laughs) <laughs> as the kids say i don't think anyone says af in the in you the do, beginning Logan. like literally it was i just took every job i could in any capacity yeah like, because basically i had this sort of like skill set where it was like i could direct things i could produce things i could edit things i could do motion graphics for things i could db i could dp things so it was like just any job in the beginning it was just get every job you can in whatever capacity um, a lot of stuff again, like basically spill over from all the MCNs and from again, like the YouTubers that I knew. Um, and then basically I just kept working at it until I would get bigger and bigger clients, excuse me, with bigger and bigger orders for things. And, um, and I just grew out that way until eventually it was doing like series and that sort of stuff. And so then like, like literally the first couple months, it was probably something like, you know, a hundred different like projects and every day was a different project. And then by the end, it was like, this is, we're doing this, we're doing these two shows and these two shows we've been doing like for six months and that sort of thing, which yeah. is a much better way to run a business. <laughs> yeah. good, good call. We should, we should take that to heart. We should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay. So. You kind of did a like a, I think you you said yourself you're kind of doing a 360. So you started in the whole realm of I want to make films. Then you got into the digital because you saw that's where the industry is going. But now, you're kind of like screw it all. 
I want to get back into making feature films. You sold you sold the script. It was made. It was distributed. Yes. If I'm uh, if I'm correct on that one, was distributed. Well, they're 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 working. They're working they're their working magic out these specifics. Gotcha. Currently, gotcha. Can we can we talk about the movie or is it is it like NDA and whatnot? Mm, I mean, like it's all like you can you can Google it. So it's like I don't think anything. Gonna do it right now. Yeah, I googled it. It's called Rhino now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called it's called Rhino now. Which isn't what you call it. Which wasn't your title, right? Not originally, no. It went through a bunch of different iterations. Yeah. They, they, this is something where it's it, it's it's fun. I was not I was not involved in any of that process, but it is a very much a. They, it's the fun like legit movie thing where like I'm sure they're like focus grouping like you know, which title works better. And if it's on a distribution platform, like are there other, like are there other uh, teen romantic comedies that have R that start with R? If not, then this will be like, this will pop up in some search result. Like I'm sure like, yeah, there's a lot of actual like uh, science that goes into why they choose things anymore. So let's, um, um, if you don't mind, give us just kind of like the brief rundown of what the movie is about and how you came up with the idea uh, to write it. Um, so the the movie is an adaptation of a, a, a very classic play, Cyrano de Bergerac, um, which I don't know how many people know about. It's it's a it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, it gets adapted a lot. Steve Martin did an adaptation an adaptation in the eighties called Roxanne. Um, the Truth About Cats and Dogs is an adaptation of it. it it's basically the the original story of an unattractive dude um who likes this girl the girl likes this attractive guy but the attractive guy is not very smart and not very talented the ugly guy is very smart and very talented so he so he acts as the voice of the attractive guy to attract the girl yeah right it's the, it's the gotcha. original catfishing yeah, Ooh, nice, uh, nice, bringing it back. And so I, yeah, bringing it back. So I, I wrote an adaptation of it. I set it in high school, and it centers around social media. Gotcha. So it's basically the Cyrano character who is named Cy in my version. Ooh. It's hip. Oh mm-hmm. man, it is bringing it back. I mean, I mean, I don't know, Cyrano. You know. We haven't seen the top baby names for this year yet, I don't think. so. I think it's going to be there. <laughs> I think it's going to be right up there. Right next to Blanket. It's going to be right up there. Right up to Blanket. <laughs> um, but, uh, which is actually really like, his name's Cyrano. The other dude's name is Chris. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, hmm, you really went off the deep uh, end on that one. But, yeah. So, anyway, so it's all about, like, this, uh, the, the nerdy and unattractive kid running the, uh, the hot the hot dude's social media accounts to try to attract the girl that the hot dude likes. Um, but uh, again, it's a, it's a romantic comedy and, you know, complications ensue and, and all, and all of that sort of fun stuff. Right on. And so um, how did you decide to take that particular play and adapt it for modern times? Did you have sort of like a strategy behind it or was it just something that in, you got inspired by? A little bit of a little bit of both. Like I if anyone cares, obviously like adapting things is always going to be a better bet for getting stuff sold than wholly original things. 
right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. just is. That's just what it is. Right. What they already um, know. And it also felt like I felt like I like it was obvious. Like it just felt like organic. You yeah. know, like in a way that, like, honestly, like even like like my sort of joke was. Is up until this point in history, I don't think that the actual concept makes any sense. Like if you watch the sort of like Steve Martin version, the uh, the Chris character is talking is uh, talking to the uh, the Roxanne character, and he's sounding like an idiot. So Steve Martin like pushes him out of the way and starts doing his flowery like eloquent soliloquies. And all yeah. I can keep thinking is, how come she doesn't? How come she doesn't know that these two guys don't sound anything alike? Yeah, totally. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, but for the first time with, with social media, I was like, oh, you could basically, if you like, you know, if you wanted to pretend to be someone else, because it just is like, you know, it's, you're taking pictures of things, you're, you're putting up all these sort of like images of stuff that you say like, oh, here's like, you know, here I am at like the Louvre or like here I am like volunteering for like the homeless people like you know in Vietnam and it's like it can all be lies right know? so and I thought that, that was really interesting to be like oh okay for this particular story like that feels like a, a really organic and authentic like marriage um, nice and how'd you go about getting that sold because I mean everyone you know not that everyone can write a great script but it it's one thing to write a script that you know, a lot of people say it's great and all that, but it's another thing to sell it and actually get it made. How'd you go about getting it in the hands of the people that wanted to buy it and like like it enough to to purchase it and make it? I mean, do you want do you want to know? I mean, I, again, like the all these specifics. I mean, that's that's one one angle. I if anyone actually cares and people don't actually tend to like this advice, but my overall advice is to understand the difference between art and product and where your job as a creative or an artist really begins and ends and what about like and what about it makes it a actual sellable product and i think people get really hung up like creative people i've cuz again I like to consider myself one of them. I feel like they get really hung up on on just the creative aspect of it where in reality when you look at what actually comes out their their products it's a business and it's a it's a huge business. It's a multi-billion dollar business and and that's not to say that you can't be creative and you can't be artistic, but it's sort of like you have to you have to find the balance in those things. And you so, have to know who the patron is and you have to know who the buyer is and you have to you just have to find like the balance of it and like and I think that I think that finding that is like a great place to honestly be like I, I liken it a lot to like there there's a there's a chance that like Leonardo da Vinci just really really wanted to paint like about God and Jesus and Adam and Eve, and that's all he wanted to do. But the more likely scenario is that's what people were buying. And so he said, okay, so the Pope is the buyer, right? How mm -hmm. do I, 
how do I put my talent towards what they like, what they're looking for? I mean, I that way I still get to be creative and express myself, but also I get to, you know, be a success. I, and I don't um, think you need to apologize for saying that. I think what a lot of people think is they need to, you know, not to say that you don't want to write the what you what you want to write and something that you enjoy writing so it's not a chore to write but it is a business and sometimes you just have to write a script that you know is going to have a better chance of selling rather than your script about a chameleon that likes to sit out in the sun and contemplate life and existential bullshit that you know it means a lot for you but won't sell and that's great when you're later in your career but sometimes you just have to get a feel for the industry where it's at and write to that if you're hoping to make a career out of it. That's pretty rude, bringing up my yeah. script called Changing Colors, but... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, sorry, spoiler I alert. Also, uh, it, he, I, I told him to copyright it, he didn't. Uh, it's Alex's fault. <laughs> um, no, so, I was going to like... I was going to like... The last thing I was going to say on that is... Um, wait, I lost my train of thought. Damn it, I'm sorry um, for interrupting. No, 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 because you were... Uh, wait, it was because you were saying that, and I, I agreed. You were... <laughs> oh, what uh, what actually, what helped, why I think what helped me is because I'm so weird and my sensibilities and like what I honestly get the biggest kick out of is so outside like the norm that it isn't, that it was never an option. It could still be an option someday and I hope that it is because I don't think that my sensibilities developed in a vacuum and I do think that like, if they're things that I like, then probably like other people would like them too. But it was like when, when you're so far down like some weird rabbit hole, like that it just means that like what you're writing is not viable at all. You do have to sort of reevaluate your approach, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think that actually helped me honestly. Um, cause I, cause there was just no, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't lie to myself that I was like, oh, they like, you know, I wasn't close enough to something else that I could make the case. I, this is sort of a hard concept that I'm trying to explain. No, I get, but, what, I get what you're saying. Like, um, it's it's one of those things where like, it may not be the dream script you wanted to write. It may not be even the the genre you like writing. But it doesn't mean you didn't enjoy writing it or didn't, you know. It was like just something like, ugh, especially when it's a, a spec script and you don't have any idea that it's going to sell. But the idea that, like, you know what, you're just writing for something that you know has a better chance of selling doesn't necessarily mean that you're not putting your heart into it and you're not really trying to give it your all. It just may not be, you know, I always think of something like um, James Gunn, who wrote horror films for um, Kaufman, but then he wrote Scooby Doo because it paid, and then you know, then he got because he wrote Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo, he was able to get into Slither, and then eventually Guardians of the Galaxy. So it's you. you I, I don't think you need to worry about apologizing or saying like you know what, oh you know you're gonna have to write things you don't like because even if you don't like it as a main genre of your choice, you still write it with. You like you know, them checks, man. That's for sure. <laughs> you like getting checks. You like getting paid. I, and you well, like that- writing. But I think that, yeah, I think what I, what I'm trying to communicate, which is more important is that what somebody should love is writing. Yeah. And you shouldn't get, and you shouldn't get hung up necessarily about, you know, I'm writing the other stuff. Yeah. Because, well, because I just think or that it, it, 
you shouldn't get hung up that it is not the like the it is not my only wholly original idea that is the most passionate like thing that like I, I, it's hard for me like I guess what I'm saying is that like the passion to me comes from the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, again, cause I don't want to like mischaracterize like what you're saying. I'm not, a, I'm not apologizing at all for something like the movie I gave, like I gave the movie my all and I'm very proud of it. And I think that it's great. I'm just trying to sort of convey that. Like I feel what a lot of people do when they're starting out is they get so hung up on that. It's just my one passion idea where really they need to sort of like reframe that I feel like and recognize that what they need to be passionate about is the art form yeah or that if they are and that they're able to let go of some of the sort of like artist rigidity like they probably will find themselves being a lot more successful and that in reality then if you're willing to work with the sort of like, you know, with the business side, that's how things come to fruition, you know, that that's where you're fine. Cause then you're communicating with like the producers because they, their needs, what they're looking for is for it to be successful. Mm-hmm. Like they're not coming, like they're trying to, they're trying to make a product and experience that like has the best chance of, reaping the most rewards so like you shouldn't you shouldn't fight them you should like you know you you're a team you're working together to inform each other you know where like they might not always be the strongest in terms of a specific creative idea but you are you don't know what like works as well in the sort of like marketplace so like you need each other you know i guess that's what i'm sort of saying that's that was the sort of like my evolution from like feeling a very sort of like protective about like about that this is the pure like pure vision of my art to basically being like no it is a it's a collaborative team effort to make the best thing possible and i need everyone to be on board and be uh and be contributing what their expertise is to ensure that for everyone because in the end of the day you enjoy writing you it doesn't matter what you're writing you enjoy writing so why get hung up on your one passion project if you can expand your horizons a little bit and get more opportunities to write. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like a hundred percent. Like, yeah, that's, it's basically like, yes, I love, I love writing again. People might be different. I like, I dabble in like all sorts of genres. Like to me, it's the act of telling a, you know, as sort of cliche as it sounds like telling a, good and satisfying story you know that like that is engaging and is interesting and it like makes you think and takes you to a place that you haven't been before and that to me transcends plot and genre and character like the things like those are all things that can make something a good story um but i feel like you know you, you don't have to, like the holistic love of the experience I think is what should be the driving factor. Good advice. Um, Good advice. Yeah. <laughs> I want to kind of go back to something you said earlier. Um, before, uh, he doesn't have a good memory. I'm, I know. I'm sorry. Logan. You're going to have to um, repeat yourself. Yeah. 
Bust out the flashcards. Yeah. <laughs> now he doesn't have good hearing, it seems. <laughs> but you were uh, you you I mentioned it was just an old person. Thing. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. we're old. Um, old. <clears throat> you talked about how, um, you know, you you should be kind of like savvy to the business aspect of it and um, know who your sort of consumer is, and in this case. Uh, as a writer, the consumer is kind of like the buyer of the script, right? It's not even really necessary the audience. You're writing kind of for the buyer. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I Yeah. I feel like the best buyers are going to, from their perspective, be an extension of the audience. Okay. And did you have anyone in mind when you were writing the script? Did you write it for the audience or did you have sort of like a, a company that you were thinking about selling it to or a group of companies or a type of company? I, I, um, I basically knew through a series of interactions, what, um, what sort of, what sort of story would be interesting to companies that were looking to do features within a certain budget range. Um, in the digital space, which like, like again, you know, influencer starring sort of features, which ultimately my movie did not end up being like, honestly, like the entire sort of, uh, journey of it from a business perspective, um, was where it started out and where it ended up is very different. Like it ended up not being like the production company that ended up producing it was not interested in making an influencer driven, uh, feature. Um, they, they had their own vision for what they wanted it to be, um, which ended up being a lot more sort of along the sort of indie festival, uh, dramedy sort of like route. Um, but originally I, Originally, it was just I'd had enough interactions with enough people to go like, oh, okay, I feel like this would, this has the ingredients of what would like be exciting to people right now. Gotcha. Um, Very cool. So I think we can uh, kind of try to land this plane a little bit. I mean, I was going to say, we, were, we always ask what piece of advice, but... Yeah, we can. Logan kind of landed that with the idea of like you should enjoy the writing process and write for what the business is going towards, rather than assuming that what you want to write, your passion project, is going to sell. That's a good piece of advice. And I was gonna, I mean, and really, the the one caveat I will give with that is like take it with a grain of salt because that's not my my perspective is like is uniquely my perspective. Um. There's literally like I, I will get into arguments with people who just believe solely in the like just write what you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it depends. If what you're passionate about is something that like you see like on TV all the time, like I don't know, like maybe that's maybe that's a good move then. But again, I'm weird, so like. <laughs> Aren't we all? And, and again, I don't know. Like, who, who knows? I feel like what's always sort of really... Im- I feel like what's overall very important... Oh, wait, if I had one piece of advice... Mm-hmm. Oh, here it comes. Oh, man. 
I'm getting ready. It's like we're an out of time. <laughs> Beep. Um, hit us. Hit us with it. If I had one piece of advice, it's don't try to. If it's a party, don't try to go in through the front door. You will not get in the front door. Stop telling yourself you're going to get into the front door. You're not going to. That doesn't mean that you can't get into the party. It doesn't mean that there's not like fire escapes and a basement somewhere and like in a sewer, like a manhole two blocks down that you can like, like climb down in there and go through the sewer and get up that way. But I feel like people waste so much time trying to get in through the front door and it's just not open to you. If your last name is Spielberg, it's open to you. And I think that, like, I think that it's fine. People get really hung up on that, and in reality, they should be looking at, like, what, where is the opening, how do, where's my entrance that everyone else isn't looking at? And I feel like that's something that I've always tried to do, and that if I was going to be successful in, if, if you could categorize me as remotely successful in any way, I would attribute it to that. And again, that it would be, I don't know what, I don't know what entrance it is for anyone. I don't know, I don't know what side door, I don't know what grate, I don't know what window it is for you. I'm just telling you, it's not the front door. Nice. Well, that, almost turned, like, that almost turned into some sex advice there, Logan. Well. <laughs> well, we'll go, we'll go from there. Yep. Since well, I killed it with that one. Stay in school. <laughs> stay in school. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time out of your day, your night, your evening. Yeah. Uh, to talk to us and yeah, thanks Logs. Bullshit with us for a little bit. I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy to. I'm I hope that this w- didn't actually I hope I didn't ruin it. I hope the first guest experience is not the last guest experience. Well, we'll see Logan. We'll I, see. I'm not going to promise I mean, anything. we have two hosts here so we can always just have ourselves as our guests. So yeah. nailed it. You, you you will not be the last, I guarantee it cuz yeah, we'll you'll, figure you'll out another way. start hosting the show. <laughs> yeah. From as, your, it, from, as it should be from yeah. your, from your no, car, you guys, from my car, <laughs> exactly from my basement. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the basement right now. All my right. car is basement. <laughs> oh, you have a double decker car. Are you in England? They mm. have those in England. Yeah, they do. The double decker cars. <laughs> it's a double decker bus. Get off it. Oh. That's how the minis, the mini Coopers started. They used to be double deckers, but in order to ship into the U.S., <laughs> stop. They had to take one deck off. Stop. Well, thanks for saving my joke, Alex. At least somebody made it funny. <laughs> er, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but thanks, Logan. Um, appreciate the time. Thanks for all the advice for everyone out there who's trying to, you know, move in the move and shake in the realm of filmmaking and digital filmmaking. I guess you could say. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk to you again later. Maybe uh, for your next project, whenever it comes out, and uh, you can blow our minds again. Spino versus Rhino, Spider Man versus Rhino. <gasps> yeah. Oh, he's going superhero. I like Spino versus Rhino. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> new, new superhero. Then when they rhyme, it's 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 even more exciting. Starring Reno Barbez. <laughs> wow, right, you pulled it. that that's one off it. really good. We're done. I'm calling it quits. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again for joining me. You can get the show notes for this episode by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash episode 12. 
Don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. While you're there, give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. Or if you don't feel inclined, just do it anyway because we're cool guys. I don't know. Just help us out. If you have any filmmaking questions, ask away in the comments section and we will try to answer them the best we can. Also, like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram for sweet pics at Cinema Summit. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time or talk to you next time or you'll hear us next time. Whatever. Next time.